Since this is your first offense, I'm not going to send you to jail. I'm going to give you a chance to come to your senses. Either it will bring you down to earth once and for all, or there's little hope for you. Eight strokes of the tambourine switch. Life goes on. Freeze all functions. Okay, party people in the house. May become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasm. You're gonna have to repeat that. Enthusiasm. You be cool. These violent delights have violent ends. I'm Michael Morgan and welcome to this week's Wocast, brought to you by Violent Money. I'm joined as always by my Cody, my sister from another mister, G from State Farm. <laughs> I like that and I'm back. How are you, Michael? I'm good. I had a mixed bag of a weekend, which we're going to go on to. I'm sure you've got your daggers at the ready. Speaking oh, of... Yeah, I'm ready to throw them too. Let's go. Speaking of this episode, on this episode, we'll be discussing UFC Minneapolis, quick recap, and UFC 239. The show will also feature interviews with Scott Coker, Johnny Walker, and Mikhail Desenyi. Now, the UFC actually pitched up their tent in Minneapolis over the weekend and it was heartbreak again for old mike i think we both know what we're talking about here <laughs> are we talking about uh paul craig versus alonzo minefield would that be the heartbreak you're speaking of you know what i i i i i i resent i resent the 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 the, the smirks which are coming are emanating from the speaker yes we are speaking about paul craig versus um, Mr. Manyfield. Now, let's just rewind ever so slightly. He was the lone Brit on this card. Unbeaten Alonzo Manyfield actually KO'd Scotland's Paul Beardew Craig. Now, you know what? I'm a firm believer that if you at a weigh-in are going to get in someone's face, you best be prepared to back it up. And I love a good weigh-in. I love the fact that, you know, people getting in each other's faces... But when you're actually doing that, it's almost karma. You're inviting karma. Now, to be honest with you, I love Paul Craig. I love his work, but I was shocked by his tactics here. We know that he was the stronger fighter on the ground. We know that in terms of his past victories, they've all come by way of um, a late submission. But I was very shocked. I was very surprised to see him you know, try to stand on the feet. And especially, you know, in terms of technique, the spinning hook kicks that he was trying and especially telegraphing them by doing one almost after the other, that was going to be his undoing for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You could see the undoing because, first of all, the, the kicks that you were describing, they seemed to be also in slow motion or as if he was underwater. It was just incredible to see him throwing these types of kicks in that, you know, in the octagon against someone that is a striker. So what happened was, is that Alonzo was able just to to read these telegraph kicks and boom, you got a uh, round one KO. But I'm going to piggyback off of what you said about Paul. The reason why we like him so much is because he's had several performance of the night bonuses in the UFC because of those like fun um, last minute submissions. He's a lot of fun, but 
it's it's what you said and what we always talk about is that if you're going to get in somebody's face you're going to put on the braveheart war paint which i loved i love that movie if you're going to put that on your face and get in somebody's face you got to back it up in the octagon so i don't really know if he lacked respect for his opponent maybe he didn't think the guy was that good of a striker or maybe he just thinks highly of himself as far as striking wise but i think he made an awful mistake in in the octagon and he paid for it dearly those shots in um on the ground they were pretty hard to watch and i think the referee could have called it a little uh sooner i was not happy with that stoppage but and i was concerned for Craig. it looked bad it looked bad now i know we are quickly just uh having a recap through the card but I just wanted to quickly mention that okay it, for me it was a pretty exciting card but there were some standout moments one being that particular KO um, okay it was all at the expense of Paul Beardew Craig but um, it was a spectacular KO nonetheless but also what caught my eye was Dequan Townsend now he's 18 and 8 and he's been fighting for the longest time but never in the UFC now he got a short notice call up and this actually piqued my interest for two reasons. He promised his four-year-old that he would actually make it into the UFC just before his four-year-old died. Now, that to me was heartbreak city. Now, having gone through all of that, having actually plied his trade in the cage and was all ready to kind of like call it a day after basically going on Facebook and saying, you know what? I've been overlooked for the last time. The UFC actually took him up on his offer of being a free agent and being available. So coming in, obviously with that backstory, I was really intrigued. I was quite, um, well, I was rooting for the guy. And I know you shouldn't have favourites, but I was rooting for the guy. I mean, with that sort of backstory, who wouldn't? But I'm, I was too, when I heard uh, Bisping commenting on his backstory. And I'm, I don't want to start any rumors or anything, but didn't he also lose like a parent? He also lost um, not just his child, but somebody else very close to him. Like he had a very sad story. And like you said, I was rooting for him. And it just kind of broke my heart and gave me that like motivation to kind of root for him. And I didn't really know much about his opponent. So it was kind of easy to kind of fall in love very quickly and root for this guy. You know, my heart broke. Well, I'm going to butcher his name, I know, but um, Dalcha Lungiambulcha, um, basically, I'm, I'm sure I've seen him, I, I, I could have sworn I've seen him in EFC, the South African um, equivalent, uh, as it were, to the UFC, but he looked strong in there and he really put on a, a, a real good performance considering, you know, th that for both of them was their first time in the octagon. But I really hope that they do give him a second chance because I, I want to see, you know, Daquan actually come out with a win considering, like I say, I'm a sucker for a, a backstory and especially one, you know, so traumatic as his. Correct. And here's another thing. I think he deserves a second shot because Daquan put on a show with um, his opponent. I know Daquan lost third round uh, TKO and it was pretty brutal. You know what I mean? But at the same time, Daquan had a nice jab in there. There was some nice exchanges. He And then he, I like his calm demeanor. It was like he's some vet or something that he's been doing this for quite a while. I just liked his calming, but yet 
technique in, in, in the octagon. And he put on a show for us. And remember, Dana's always talking about, oh, I'm looking for savages. I'm looking for killers. I'm looking for this. Well, Daquan put on a show. So why not give him another uh, give him another shot on the prelims, perhaps? And I think we both noticed these guys. Even in his loss, we noticed Daquan. And I hate to say it, but the UFC is into the entertainment business. Just like this captivated my heart and yours, they can also exploit this, unfortunately. And that's what they're in the business of doing. So if they want a storyline, they have one, and then they have an athlete. And then, of course, the winner, they're going to push forward with this guy because he was amazing. I, I liked his debut. Speaking of amazing, I mean, I'm not sure if there was any other uh, bouts that you wanted to recap before we actually fast forward to the main event, which saw um, which saw Francis Ngannou take on Junior De Santos. I mean, was there any other standouts for you that you wanted to comment on? You know, to be honest with you, there were so many because this card was thebomb.com. But I'm going to mention Eric Anders versus Vincius Castro. Eric Anders was on like a three-fight losing streak. And he came out there and he just bullied this dude. Mm. Uh, Vincius tried to take him down. And I think he did actually succeed, but it was like a very awkward takedown. And Eric got up and just you know, excuse my French and beat the shit out of him. But the problem that I have, I had a problem with the refing this card. Um, not only did Paul Craig to me take unnecessary shots, Eric Anders' opponent, um, Vinicius Castro, took way too many shots. And the referee, it was almost as if the referee was at home watching it with me. Like he, he was just like, damn, that, that's some heavy ground to powder. And then it was like, oh shit, I'm the ref. Let me stop the fight. I was at home like, stop the fight. It was unbelievable. And it was very poor refing. And it wasn't just me. You know me and my Twitter world and MMA Twitter. We, we all were upset about the stoppage. But enough with the pissy, pussy poor ref, whatever. He was horrible. We're going to get back to Eric. And he did a fantastic job. He needed this boost. And I'm glad he got a win. Because um, they were kind of giving him, doing the Pico thing with him. When they gave him a cheetah last year, it was a bit too much. I like that they're giving him competitors that he's evenly matched with. And you can see the, his progress. You can see what he's doing with that. And he did that with this KO. It was vicious. 100%. Well, neatly segueing then into the main event, Francis Ngannou versus Junior DeSantos. For me, I knew, obviously, from what we discussed last week, how this was going to end. Um, it's kind of evident that... Junior DeSantis, uh, his days are numbered in the Octagon. Not only, in my humble opinion, does he have a glass chin, but who goes in with an overhand right so strong that you spin yourself to a level where Francis Ngannou is able to actually capitalise on that. And when he actually gets you to the ground, all you're doing is turtling up a la Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I don't know what I watched the other... The other night when it came to this fight, I'm going to be honest with you, I picked JDS to win. And the reason why I picked him to win is because he has more tools in the toolbox. When it comes to Francis, immediately we think of power. We don't think wrestling. We don't think leg kicks. We just think power. Meanwhile, Junior Dos Santos moves like a middleweight sometimes. He's, he can kick. He can punch. He's got the foot. He's got um, the movement. He's got the angles. So I, I literally thought he would take that and his experience and box with Francis and, and mix it up a bit. Instead, he came out and he threw this atrocious 
counter right hand and he overcommitted to it. And then here's the worst part. There was no setup. He just threw it. And then he does this 360 spin. Francis comes in and just destroys him. And I just couldn't believe that JDS's fight IQ just pummeled as soon as <laughs> as soon as the bell. I just I was so confused by his performance. But nonetheless, I think the heavyweights need to respect the power that Francis has and stop coming out here and just trying to knock the guy out. Stop going toe to toe. They need to do what Stipe did, which was mix it up, wrestle, fight, get out of there, put him in the clinch, take him down, get out. You know what I mean? Mix it up. Don't go in there toe-to-toe. You're going to wind up like Overeem or JDS on the ground. Did you agree with his call-out at the end to, um, you know, well, to, to Dana White? Basically, he feels as though he should be next. Absolutely. I mean, who, he's number two in the rankings. Um, he has had three consecutive um, wins. And there's nobody out there right now that can really compete with him he is the rightful the true contender i will say this this is a bit controversial i think that if he goes up against someone like stipe or dc who have such wrestling accolades he's going to have an issue i think anybody else he can put them to sleep but i think dc and stipe have the fight iq to avoid those bombs and to use their wrestling background and to mix it up i think he's going to run into a wall with those two not to say he doesn't have a puncher's chance because he's got the hands of death, but I think he's going to have an issue at the very top level of the, um, this division. But other than that, he deserves to fight for that position. Absolutely. For the title. Excuse me. Well, he certainly made himself clear to Dana White. Speaking of Dana White, Dana White's Tuesday contenders. Um, basically, I spoke to Nicole Disenyi who is actually going to appear on the last episode. She's going to be clashing Mallory Martin, who's 7-2 on the Contender Series in August. I caught up with her, and uh, now is a pretty timely time to segue into that interview. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Now, I have to say, I thought I'd do a little bit of research on Michal Disenyi before I actually start asking some questions. And I have to say, what I found left me ever so slightly wide-eyed. Now, I'm really intrigued. I'm so intrigued. I have so many questions. Let's just start with the basics. Now, you are part of the Suicide Girls, right? Hell yeah, I am. I've been a Suicide Girl for 12 years almost. I started in 2007 when I was 18 years old. First thing I wanted to do as soon as I got overage is take my clothes off for money. So that's what I did and I became a suicide girl. Now, from your Instagram, I have to say the pictures, not only are they racy, they're quite tasteful in my humble opinion. Um, I'm, I'm, I put it this way, I'm not offended by what I saw. That's good. <laughs> I guess that's good. I'm trying to keep a public persona in the most decent way possible because my main concern is being considered as a fighter, not just as a pretty face with a nice body. So my job is fighting and my hobby is modeling. So I hope that from my social media, it appears that modeling is just for fun and fighting is the serious stuff. Now, like I said, I've got so many questions. Let me, let me, let me just uh, fire off a few. Now, in terms of the modeling, I've got this down in the category. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a connoisseur or anything, but this to me strikes me as um, erotic modeling, right? Softcore. As hardcore is considered 
porn or like nude with penetration, softcore is considered full explicit nude. So the genre, the kind of style of modeling I used to do with suicide girls is categorized as softcore. What I do right now outside of suicide girls is just glamour modeling, like basic pinup modeling, lingerie, bikini, fitness kind of things. So, you see, that's why I wanted to start off with this as the first question. What was it that actually inspired you to become um, a erotic model? I mean, what, what was the inspiration? You said as far back as you can remember, you couldn't wait to get your clothes off. What was the inspiration for that? I feel that the women's body is a work of art and if you're blessed enough to be born with beautiful features, you own it to the world to show it. So I feel like I'm doing something good to the world in being able to show myself as I am. So in, in showing yourself to the world as you are, have you had any blowback? I mean, let's just talk about in, in, in the lead up to, um, you know, actual mixed martial arts fighting. Did you have any blowback in terms of, um, how can I put it, repercussions because of your chosen vocation? Of course, of course. Like I am a female growing up really close to Vatican City in Italy, in a country where people are really close-minded. And the mentality is pretty, how do I say, macho kind of thing, especially in the mixed martial arts world, where it's a pretty men-based world. I do feel a lot of resistance. First of all, uh, in the sports world, it was all about you're pretty, you just want to show off, you just want pictures to post on Instagram, you don't really want to fight. In real life, what I got the most were people attracted to me because of that aspect and then finding out I'm actually a person and realizing that they either wanted something else or if they were looking for something else, in the first spot, they thought I wasn't good enough for them. So I've got, I've been judged a lot for my job. I've been called superficial. I've been called a cheater. I've been called any kind of, any sort of things. I've been judged a lot for what I do. But I can say that what uh, my hobby is, is not exactly a, a 100% um, complete representation of who I am. So... I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, you tell me, I'm guessing that in dealing with men in the industry, um, would you say your industry is, uh, for want of a better word, allows you to take back the empowerment from the men to you? Or, I mean, just, just talk me through how you're actually managing your whole career, considering it's male-dominated. I feel that being able to show my body and represent it how I want it, it's really empowering. But what I felt during the years um, is that mixed martial arts was really empowering for me. Because everybody told me what I shouldn't have done. They were like, you shouldn't take your clothes off. You shouldn't be fighting. So you shouldn't take your clothes off. But then I got success as a model. And then you're too pretty to fight. So you're a successful model. Why would you fight? Why would you ruin your face? The reason why I do all these kind of things is because I own myself. Nobody owns me. And I want to represent myself how I want. I want to do with my body whatever I want. And I want to take my body to every limit I think my body can achieve. In terms of beauty, in terms of strength, in terms of whatever I feel like I want to do. I just want to be free. And it has been a really 
hard journey to find myself free inside a cage, which is quite weird if you actually phrase it, but I realized that I'm so free in there that that's where I want to spend most of my time. And just the name, Suicide Girls. I mean, obviously, it's uh, provocative. Obviously, it's a talking point. It's a quote from Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, In one of his books, uh, he was calling Suicide Girls, the college girls that were... uh, They were, like, with dyed hair, with tattoos. They were, like... They had broken uh, outfits. So these girls, the ones that were like the punk version of the classic college girls, were the ones that were suiciding their social life. So that's where the nickname came from in 2001 when they found the website. It's social suicide more than depression-related suicide was ah, what was name was about. I get it, I get it. That actually puts things in context now, which neatly segues into what I, I'm guessing um, a lot of people deem in Italy to be a little bit more socially acceptable, and that is mixed martial arts. How did the segue from being an erotic model, um, how did the segue actually happen into mixed martial arts then? I, since I really liked um, posing and I liked to both naked, I wanted my body to look the best possible. So all of my colleagues were starting to get like fake boobs and like lip injections and these kind of things. And I was like, I absolutely love plastic surgery, but I'm too broke at the moment. So what I will do is uh, work as hard as I can to make my body look better. So that's why I joined the gym. I joined this gym uh, where there were just guys because I really didn't like to hang out with girls. I didn't want to be surrounded by judgment of any sort. So I went to a wrestling gym where there was just one girl and I started wrestling and I loved it. Uh, But I really wanted to punch people in the face while I was wrestling. So my friends were like, why don't you try to do some ground and pound classes? Why don't you do some MMA tournaments? So I started with grappling tournaments then I was like, but I really want to beat these chicks off. So they were like, try to do MMA. I tried MMA. I won my first fight. My first like Emmy scrap kind of thing uh, in a 30 seconds KO. So they were like, okay, so just keep trying. Let's do something in a cage. Let's see where does this goes. And actually in a few months, I was a member of the national team and... In an year, I won Worlds. So I, after I won Worlds, I realized that probably that was my path. Okay. Well, you touched upon um, your body there. Now, um, I suppose... I just wanted to look good. I went to a gym to get fit, and I ended up turning into a professional mixed martial artist. <laughs> I mean, again, just, just on your body. In terms of... Um, basically your torso you've used it almost as a canvas there must have been an element of pain in that what was the most painful tattoo to get because you seem to be from head to toe covered in tattoos my second tattoo is a huge snake i have on my right rib cage that goes from under my armpit to my thigh the part on my boob under the armpit and all over the rib cages were hurting like hell but yeah, both both of my rib ribcage pieces. I'd say the one on my knee was pretty awful. Elbows. Well, tattoos hurt. Don't trust anybody that tells you that tattoos don't hurt. They hurt a lot. 
I totally agree with you because um, I've, I've got a couple of wings on my ankles and I would have thought that would be the best place to have it because that would be the least sensitive. It killed like hell for a month. I trust you. <laughs> I can totally relate to that. The only tattoo that didn't hurt was actually on my shoulder, like on my arm, on the top part of my arm, that where, where you see like everybody having a tattoo, even in like uh, old days. Like the first area that people usually get tattooed is on their shoulder, on their on the top part of their arm, and that's the only area that didn't hurt. But the other ones were like hell. So just sticking with fighting, at the moment you are seven and two. Your professional record is seven and two. Now, in terms of the circuit, especially in Italy, is it as lively a scene as, say, in the UK or even in the States? I mean, just talk me through the the local scene in Italy with regard to mixed martial arts. The level is really low because fans here tend to... Um, ask for fights uh, between teams because they know a guy, they know another guy, they just want to see them be the living hell out of each other. So they don't think about growth. What I always say is that we have just five straw weights or a little bit more of that. Like, there's just really few girls training in Italy. And I'm always saying stop asking for fights between us. Uh, let us fight international opponents let us train together and find other opponents and most of these girls seem to don't grasp the the concept so they're just like no that girl is scared she doesn't want to fight me and i'm like no we have to raise up the level and go fight stronger better tougher opponents in international events the local events um are a lot but they're really small there's no money behind there's no sponsorship behind so they're trying to make the movement grow but the people are not willing to invest money unless there's their local hero of fighting the guy of the neighbor's gym so it's pretty provincial i don't know how to to phrase it better it's it's a lot of me against you instead of us against the world Uh and uh with my teammates we always had a big uh, how do I say opening like I travel a lot I've been traveling to Albuquerque to many different places to train I have a little bit more of an international view about it my goal is to be part of the best uh, events in the world so I'm not really focused on local promotions but I still did fought in them because I really wanted to fight in Italy so I took every fight they offered me and I really try to take fights in better and better events. Now, you actually fight out of Gloria Fight Center, um, if topology is to be believed, and also Jackson I Wink. I split camps between Gloria Fight Center and Jackson Wink MMA. Right, so what made you select Jackson Wink as um, the fight team to actually fight with? The biggest, toughest, strongest female MMA team in the world. There's actually almost 10 strawweights in there. And there's like a lot of them are in uh, in the UFC or in other big promotions. And there's a lot of people coming and going. So I get a lot of people that have my same uh, attitude, they, my same goals and the same struggles. Being far away from home, from your dog, from your family, uh, boyfriend, girlfriends, a lot of these kind of things. The other options as a big, big team was ATT in Miami, but I am too much of a 
party girl I was too much of a party girl for going in a place like that so I'd rather be stuck in the desert with nothing to do just focusing on training and this changed me a lot it made me stronger it made me tougher it made me lose interest in all the bullshit that was distracting me from fighting and made me focus a hundred percent and made me a better fighter a better woman better person so, so that was the right choice you talked about the bullshit that was actually distracting you from fighting. What what sort of things were actually proven to be a distraction? Like just just being a, a normal thirty years old girl in Rome. Like here, it's all about how you appear, how you show yourself, the clubs you you appear at. What if you have to tag yourself in some places just to show you're cool you have to uh, drink uh, whatever everything that wasn't fun for me Uh, at a certain point i was just like so bored of this party girl lifestyle this whole appearance and no substance uh, way of living that i was just like i want something more i want real people in my life i want focused uh goal-driven people surrounding me so i can become the result of that it's confirmed now that you have an up-and-coming bout with Mallory Martin on the Contender Series. You're going to be on the ninth episode, I do believe, in August on the 8th. 20th. Actually, no, the 20th of August. 20th. That's right. Yeah. I so, think it's the very last episode of this season of the Ultimate, of um, Contender Series. And, and uh, how, did, how did that actually come about? How do you get selected or how you put yourself forward so for the Contender Series? Last year, I was... Uh, selected to be part of the contender series as the first international fighter taking part of that I've had major issues with my visa so I didn't got to be in one of those cards Uh, for the whole year I've been struggling with visas because going back and forth to the US and not being able to work and not be able to fight there has been kind of a problem because I kept getting offered fights in the US and I couldn't take them as I wasn't able to work there so they kept working on it and then they right now the American embassy uh, accepted my petition for uh, accepted their petition for my athlete visa I got my athlete visa and I managed to finally get on this card so you're fighting Mallory Martin as I mentioned that's actually being confirmed as an upcoming bout how much do you know about Mallory Martin and uh, what challenges do you think lay ahead for you so I've studied her a lot I've been studying her with my coach and teammates and we've been doing really a lot of research on her watch a lot of hours of footage every fight we, we could find and we've been studying it at slow motion and try to find holes in their games that I can use at my advantage. So I know she's a really tough and strong, like physically strong and mentally tough athlete. So I am ready for the challenge. I can't wait to measure myself against a high level athlete, a tough girl, someone that never backs up. And I'm really excited for this fight and I can't wait to do damage on that night. Now, from what Dana White has said recently, especially with regard to Brendan Lofnane, they are actually looking for killers. I mean, just on that subject and that subject alone, did the performance of Brendan Lofnane actually, um, did you have any opinion on it, considering how dominant he was in the fight? And will that colour your fight, given what Dana has actually said? They're looking for killers. I always go for the kill. I'm a blood hunter. As soon as I see blood, I get excited like a puppy and I want to murder. 
I think they got the right fighter for this bout. I'm not gonna stop until I see her bleeding, and when I'll see her bleeding, God help her, because she's gonna need someone to help her, because I'm not gonna stop. <laughs> Now, just one final thing. You mentioned um, you're having visa issues. Now, what were the visa issues around? What, what was actually preventing you from getting a visa? Just timing. It just takes a lot of time to get an appointment to the embassy, so they probably didn't realize how much time it would have taken so they offered me the fight around june something like that and i didn't have enough time to go back to italy wait a month to get the appointment and then fly back so it was just about strict timing because the u.s embassy in italy is really really busy so i take it you'll be up until the fight you'll be at jackson wink or have you got other plans i'll be at jackson wink since tomorrow Till the fight. Fantastic. Well, I have to say, um, it has been an experience, um, Michael, speaking to you. And I have to say, um, it's been an impressive um, canter through your history. And it's been an interesting and intriguing uh, bit of research, as I say, actually finding out more about you. And um, I really do wish you all the best when you actually do take on your, well, route into the UFC and that is Mallory Martin thank you so much thank you so much for having me for giving me the space and I love this interview and I hope to talk to you soon so I, I don't know about you G but one thing I would say about Nicole you know where you stand with her she's basically as what you see is what you get she cuts straight to the chase There is no misunderstanding as to how she feels that she's empowering herself. I, I, I have to say, in terms of um, researching, um, researching Nicole before I actually did the interview, it really did open my eyes. And the, and the interview itself, I have to say, gave me a different perspective, especially from the point of view that she feels as though she's empowering herself with the, uh, well, with the style of modelling that she's obviously employed in. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the entire interview and everything that she spoke of is just everything about woman's empowerment and, and how she's just owning her body, what she likes to do, her career and her hobbies. I really like the fact that she's like, hey, listen, fighting is my career. This is what I like to do. My hobby is I'm out here looking great, taking these photos, looking sexy, baby. And that's for me. That's not for a man. That's not for anybody else. That's for her. And that is just woman empowerment it's about me right now and i'm the bomb and that's what she's exuding and not only that i think that translates into her you know fighting career as well she sounds hella focused when she started to talk about you know smelling blood i was like jesus she's gonna kill this her opponent she's gonna kill that girl and i think that comes from woman empowerment and what she's doing outside of the octagon and it's translating right into what she does And you can you can hear it, you can see it, you can see the confidence, you know, and I think that's great. One of the things which I, I, I have to say was kind of remiss of me not to actually, or um, I actually forgot to ask her, or I should have asked her, is the, well, Bellator have been on this massive 
um, signing spree, massive signing spree. And um, one of the people who, well, seemed to have actually escaped the signing spree, I guess for the reason that she was probably holding out for the Contender Series, um, Bellator's signing spree didn't actually scoop up Mikol Desenia. I mean, speaking of Bellator, I caught up with Scott Coker, who had quite a lot to say about the European Series. Scott, welcome to London and welcome to the Wocast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, let's just get down to brass tacks. You have had a very, from where I'm sitting anyway, an impressive tenure. I mean, thus far, you're obviously um, in it for the long haul. But I wouldn't mind getting from your point of view in terms of what they call in business terms, key performance indicators. You must have come in with a wealth of things that you wanted to see happen, with some ideas and basically a blueprint and a roadmap as to where you want to get to. First of all, what's your assessment as to where you are right now in relation to that roadmap? But more importantly, I mean, just give me your take on how you think the road has been getting here. Uh, I tell you, uh, when I first came to Bellator five years ago, which I think the anniversary was Monday of this week, um, I knew I had a big task at hand. And I almost, you know, didn't want to do it in one sense. Because when the opportunity was offered to me at first, I was like, no. I turned it down probably two or three times, to be honest. I said, I'd rather go build my own ship, you know, from scratch than to jump on a ship that maybe is tilting a little bit, right? Because uh, I don't, these are so many unknowns, and when you, there's so many unknowns in business, it can be quite challenging, right? And uh, But I, I really like Kevin Kay, the executive that was there at Spike TV, and um, I liked the idea that Viacom was going to back it, and they were committed. And I said, okay, so I, I changed my mind, and after talking to Kevin, actually speaking to him one-on-one like this, probably spent five hours together the very first day five hours the second I go two weeks later and I said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm gonna go with Vicom and I'm gonna do this but it wasn't um, it wasn't uh, uh, an easy decision uh, but going into Vicom then I started looking at all their uh, fighter roster because that's the number one key what do you what do you got who are your fighters who are your talent and it was slim pickings to be honest and I sat down with uh, a couple friends of mine, just friends, and you know, and I said, "What do you think?" And they're like, mm, "You really don't have much here." <laughs> so I go, "Oh man, okay, we got to start building talent. Then we got to start buying talent, and I got to build this roster because we can have all the great TV deals in the world, we can have all the sponsorship in the world, but if we don't have great fights, none of this is going to matter because you're going to have shitty fighters on a great platform, right? So." Uh, we we put in a program in place to start building like the, the James Gallagher's and the AJ McKees and you know the the Picos. I still have a lot of confidence in him, but you know we started we started building the who's going to be the guys that are going to be our fighters from let's say you know years three, four, five, six, seven. Who's going to be the guys? In the meantime, started monitoring the industry and saying, okay, we we got to sign some free agents. Um, and then um, the next step was throwing these head- the headweight tournament. That was a big game changer for us. Throwing the welterweight tournament, throwing the featherweight tournament, being in the tournament business, uh, paying out uh, a good amount of money to get some of the top welterweights on the planet, welter- top welterweights 
uh, featherweights, top heavyweights. Uh, Fedor was a big middle mover for us for many years. And so it was just, it was just like fighting and clawing your way to, to this position. Now, I will say, being here five years, looking at what we've accomplished over the last, you know, five years, it's, it's pretty amazing. Because I didn't think it would happen uh, that fast. I thought it would be like a seven to ten year plan, to be honest. Uh, and when I say that, look at look at how long One FC's been in business. I think it's been like you know seven, eight, nine years, something like that. Uh, and um, and I consider Bellator, even though they've been in business longer than, than I, before I got here, I think Bellator 2.0 is has been a five-year growth spurt. You know, since I came on board, they're promoting fights in 1,500-seat uh, stadiums, going town to town, you know, for and just doing small, tiny little shows. Uh, and I said, mm, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be a big arena show, and I want to make this Strikeforce 2.0 and continue it from where I, when I left off. And so the name of my company actually uh, was going to be called Unfinished Business, right? Because of the way the whole thing went down. No complaints about you know Strikeforce; they're very good to me. But I felt inside like I, I, I got some work to do, and I wasn't ready to let go. So. Five years later, look at our roster, man. It's like night and day compared to what it was. Look at the fighters we're bringing up. The free agents that we brought over from the UFC have been substantial. Um, the television deals we have around the world now, the the revenue streams. You know, this company has grown, I'd say, probably double the income over the last four years every year, you know. So uh, I think Viacom's extremely happy. Uh, I'm extremely happy. I think the guys are extremely happy, and it's a real fight company now. And it took I took it took five years to get here. So give us a couple more years, and we're gonna we're gonna go kick some ass. And in terms of all the milestones that you were hoping to achieve, are we still on that road, or are, have have you hit all of those checkpoints now? I think we've hit those checkpoints, but now we're gonna create bigger checkpoints. You know, and. Um, it all goes back to the fighters. Are we going to be able to build that next superstar? And the European Series is part of that because we're going to come here, do fights in your time frame, in prime time, so you can watch it on TV and not have to be up at four in the morning, right? And we're going to do this eight times a year or ten times a year. It's not going to be that we're a U.S. company where this is the product and you have to take it at this time frame. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna bring it to you, and we're gonna localize it, and we're gonna make it something that uh, that we're will be comfortable for you. You'll get access to all this great talent and see the fights from America as well. Uh, but we will be mining for that next superstar, male or female, and we will be looking for that person in the in Europe. And then, you know, once we kind of have a foothold here, we're going to go to Latin America and do it there. We're going to go to Asia and we're going to do it there. I believe that localization of the product is going to make this a differentiator for Bellator compared to any other league. And so that's the future. And that's why I'm glad we segued nicely into um, segmentation and localization, because essentially what you're doing, you're creating a series, as you've rightly said, a European series over here. Now... In considering a European series, how much thought have you given? I know it's obviously a professional organization, looking at professional fighters, but how much thought has been given to actually nurturing the up-and-coming amateurs, looking at a way in which you can tap upcoming talent? Well, 
the amateurs we can't touch because they're amateurs, but um, there are prospects, fighters that are fighting in the amateur circuits and the different federations and that it's okay, this is a guy that we've identified. Once he becomes turns pro, then we're going to go after him, you know. So, uh, but while they're amateurs, we really can't, you know, be in the amateur business. But um, that is the future, is, you know, the, the amount of talent that's fighting on these, you know, World Cups that they've been holding all over the, the planet. Um, you know, we're, we're just, we've been monitoring, but we're not taking action until they're, until they're you know, professional. I mean, just on uh, the nurturing, just sticking with the nurturing of future talent, one thing which really um, was welcome news was John Kavanagh spoke earlier on in the week about he's basically getting into that big time in terms of nurturing talent. And he's, well, in a, in a sense, um, going to have, for want of a better word, a feeder channel to Bellator in that his tournament, his upcoming tournament, um, that he, uh, the, the name of the organization, I have to say, escapes me, but he has planned, will be a direct route to Bellator and that the winner is actually going to be a Bellator fighter. I mean, just talk to me about those plans. I mean, when we talk about Ireland, we, I think we signed the, you know, every fighter up there that we could find that was, you know, had talent. Um, and whether it's John Kavanaugh or, you know, different friends that we have across the world that have organizations, um, you know, let them find, cultivate, and then bring over talent. That's going to be another way that we can do it because that's fast-tracking it for me. Uh, and I don't have to go down to find the guy because they're finding the guy or the girl. And uh, But we will be the home when that person comes up. And, and I think Kavanaugh has been a great, great, you know, I don't want to say partner, but a great... Uh, you know, supporter of Bellator. Um, and, you know, he's brought us a tremendous amount of talent. And, and I think that um, he's going to continue being, bringing a bunch of talent over here. So it's, it's, it's a good thing when you have... I just think if I could recreate that in Asia, Latin America, Australia, we're going to have the best fighters in the world fighting here in Bellator. Can I be really bold and um, forthright with you? For a long while... Bellator was seen as picking, not necessarily um, the best, but the available talent with a brand name. Have you moved away from that as an ethos, as an outlook, or are you still looking to basically capture those names, those free agents out there who have some high visibility in terms of their brand? You know what? Like, for instance, we want to do fights that are for the hardcore fans. But we also want to do fights that the fringe fans want to see too. And I'm not afraid to do those fights. And I think they're fun to put together, they're fun to watch. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because it brings in a different fan base, to be honest. The hardcore fans are going to want to see the hardcore fights. They're going to want to see Lovato, his jiu-jitsu against Gegard striking and, you know, and see who are, you know, who's the best. But, when Chael fights or when Machida fights or when Fedor fights, it's just a rampage. Jackson, it's like, you know, listen, they all know it's it's not the second or third quarter for them. They know it's the fourth quarter. In some of these cases, it's a two-minute warning. You know, it's, that's an American football term, right? And um, it's, they know, but why can't they fight another person of the same caliber? Both have big names and... Uh, you'd be surprised how many people want to stay connected to the sport, but they don't know who the new guys are, right? 
but they know Rampage Jackson, and they know <coughs> Chael Sonnen, they know Fedor, and to me, it's okay to do these fights, but if you look at our offering, like in New York, hardcore, 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 fun fight, hardcore fight. I mean, the Horiguchi fight with DC, that was like a hardcore fight fan's dream, right? Champion versus champion. We all put it on the line. Horiguchi won. Now he's our champ. We have access to him. But the hardcore fans, I was reading some of the comments online, they were so appreciative and so thankful. Um, but hey, Machida Fedor, why not? I mean, Machida versus Chell, why not? It was a fun fight. And, you know, it's, it's I, I have no problem with it. I mean, I grew up in the era of K1. We promoted a gentleman by the name of Bob Sapp. Need I say more? You know, it's like, I watch him promote. I'll tell you a story. <coughs> Sorry. Bob Sapp fought Aki Bono. And I said, oh my God, this is going to be nuts. And then the ratings came out. It did a 50 share in Japan. It means 50% of the whole country watched that fight on New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve. Think about that. If I told my, if I told my girl, we're going to be watching a fight on New Year's Eve, I think I'd get crucified. <laughs> but on New Year's Eve, that fight did a 50 50 share and that was a fight between you know two guys who were just like a fun fight to watch you know so listen it's it's also entertainment right we're going to deliver the hardcore fans what they want to see we're going to deliver some fun fights once in a while specifically on the fun fights that neatly segues into the European series I'm really really um, trying to recall what you said when you were up on stage basically talking about the future of the European series I probably misheard I hope I didn't, but I thought you said 20 fights next year, 20 cards. Uh, well, I was speaking like, you know, this could be growing into something that has 12, 14, 20, 20 fights. Um, I think something more realistic would be we do one fight a month, a 12-fight series every month. Let's say it's first Saturday or second Saturday of every month is what this will probably turn into. And it'll be broadcast throughout Europe, live, and um, on Channel 5 here and, and on uh, Sky Sports. Um, and that's kind of what I think that will happen. I know I said it would be my final question, but I swear this will be my final question. That's the thing that worries me. I want to end on a high. You broke a new ground, especially in Europe, with that Sky Sports deal. But it worries me that that's just for a year. How I understand it, that after a year, basically, you're going to be without that aspect. I mean... Don't count. I mean, don't count us out yet. You know, it's like you're thinking what could happen. I'm thinking what you know could happen, and um, we're gonna have to just go and deliver a great product and continue the dialogue with them. You know, we are we are uh, cautiously optimistic that that relationship will continue. I think uh, I think Scott's onto something. I think Scott knows that there's an issue with the with Europe. The time these cards are on. You know, the issues Europeans are having with watching MMA fights. And also there is a shitload of talent in Europe that a lot of people aren't aware of. You know, there are fighters out there that are coming from all different parts of Europe and nobody really knows about them or people aren't really watching like the the regional circuits in Europe. And I think Scott is going to bring attention to that and recruit from these places. And I think Europeans are, are going to be happy. Get ready for the fight parties. You know what I mean? Like, you guys can finally have a fight party. I'm, you know, me, I'm from the States. And, you know, when I'm in Brooklyn, 
I'm not staying up to four in the morning to watch Bellator. So I'm a little concerned. I'm going to be a little jealous while you're at a fight party and I'm going to be asleep and, and avoiding Twitter to find out Bellator results. So, but I think he's on to that. I think he's going to blow up the whole European scene. And I'm really excited for y'all. Sounds great. I, I personally thought um, Scott was quite candid. He had quite a lot of, um, well, genuine moments there where he put his heart on his sleeve. When you, when you think about this, he considered not joining Bellator. This was something which he needed to be convinced into. And I have to say, since joining them, he's really lifted them far beyond, um, you know, what Bjorn Rebney had actually achieved. And I think that's a massive achievement. Not only that, he seems really, really keen to make sure that the European series is a massive success. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. And I think he saw something that a lot of promoters don't see. Like I said, there is a market in Europe for MMA, and I think he, he knew. And I think although he was a little apprehensive at first or, you know, but I think that apprehension can come, sometimes motivate you. And I think that's what we see here. He was apprehensive. And then now look, he's expanded Bellator. It's, 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 it just hit what it's five year anniversary and look how far it's, it's come. You know what I mean? And now it's headed towards this European market. So I think it's a good idea that Scott Coker is the man in charge. And I, and I like what the ideas that he's bringing and I like the fact that he addresses the entertainment aspect of the of um, MMA, and he also appreciates people like me, the hardcores. I really, really enjoyed that portion of the interview where he knows that people like me are going to want to see some like really intense and difficult fights that maybe, I hate the word casual, but maybe a new person that's into MMA is not going to recognize, like Lovato and, 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 and Gregor. Me, you tell me something like that, I'm getting excited. But then also, he also has a market for the casuals. And I love that. I love that there's a balance. He knows that there's people like me out there, then he knows there are people that want to see the entertainment. And I just wish this, the USC was a little bit more like that. Right now, I feel like they're solely focused on entertainment. So I, I like Scott's ideas of entertaining both of us, the hardcores and the new fans. Just on the subject of entertainment, it seems like a timely and an opportune moment to segue into the last interview of the day. I spoke to the UFC's Johnny Walker, and he certainly was entertaining. The last time we saw you, you were breakdancing, my man. What is with the breakdancing? I mean, really and truly, have you done this in terms of a vocation, in terms of a pastime? You seem to be very, very hot on dancing. Yeah, usually I did like five years ago, two years like dance lessons. Then I like to dance as well. I like to go to party. I like to do some moves. I like like break dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it is a, a, obviously a unique way to actually celebrate the finish. But I'm intrigued by the background because as an ex-breaker myself, I recognise talent, I recognise technique. So was it street dance or break dance you were actually, you were talking about, you know, your venture into dancing, but it, was it break dancing specifically or was it street dance? This is just many different styles because in, I like to dance everything, you know, tango, samba, pagode, like different style you know then this gives me some ability to, to fight ability to move good when i fight as well you know give me good moves when i walk when i when i run you know it's i was i was helping me to to improve myself 
one of the, the training done, you know, because I feel free that I like I I show everybody what, what I can do because the the dance flew flew between in, in my body, you know. This is good for me. I I I like. I feel free. I feel happy. Then this is working to now. <laughs> and how much of that, you know, just obviously to segue into the meat and potatoes of what we're um, going to be talking about, how much of dance actually plays a part in your movement in the cage? It's always, always, because every move is it's not about dance, it's about fight, you know, but fight with dance. Fight is a dance as well. If you know how to move, how to fight properly, if you put dance, inside the fight you you can be great because it's like not natural moves you know i feel great this 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 the way that that i fight <laughs> and just finally on dance you know just to close this chapter of uh, our conversation are we going to be seeing any celebrations like we saw because it would strike me that it might be a little bit hazardous to continue this line in terms of break dancing as a way of celebration of course <laughs> why not I don't know if you watch my, my second fight yes. in, then I do a lot of warm and back flips uh, everything work but my last fight something doing wrong uh, this this just uh, happened you know happened and I just recover my shoulder next time I'll, I'll be ready to do a good celebration again <laughs> I mean just on the division at the moment right now um, you're obviously working your way steadily towards uh, a title shot. Now, your next assignment, just talk me through that. What threats you can see within your next opponent? I want some, some, somebody in the hunk higher than me, like a top eight, seven, five. I can't go straight to the champion, but I have to beat somebody first, you know? Maybe Corey Anderson, Somebody top five, top four, you know. Just, I just need one more fight. Then I'll be there for John Jones. Okay, so I suppose what I'm asking in a roundabout way is, have you been given your next assignment? If so, who? If so, where? Maybe in September, 7th September in UFC Abu Dhabi. Or UFC want to put me in main event in UFC Uruguay, but it's too soon for me, you know, I still recover my shoulder. It's 100% now, but I have to get stronger again you know and try to do some good good training to, to get better you know to, to improve myself and be 100 percent i think august is a good date for me 7 uh, september not august not so august. I, i'm interested in in the test that you say that you know the ufc have been trying to put your way you were saying that uruguay is off the table but who are they suggesting what are the names that they actually put forward for you to actually fight in uruguay I don't know. They just want to put me in main event there. I, anyone they, they can choose for me, it doesn't matter. I will beat anyway. Now, you mentioned Corey Anderson. What is it about Corey Anderson that makes you feel as though that would be a good style matchup for you? Uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm come from MMA. I started MMA. I'm MMA fight. Then I can fight against every other stylus. Jiu-Jitsu, Western, K1, boxer fighters. Doesn't matter what main main martial arts they have, I can fight because I'm ready for any situation. Now, obviously, when we look at the light heavyweight division, topping that is John Jones, and uh, John Jones does seem, you know, for want of a better word, formidable. 
Now, when you look at who he's actually facing, Thiago Santos, how do you actually see that playing out? When you see that matchup, who do you see actually obviously coming off the victor? Uh, I see a very good match because the Santos is a strong guy, have a good, abil good ability and he's red to the title. He, he beat some light heavyweight, you know, he, he deserved title shot. And John John is one of the best one fighters then. But I, I don't see problem for me, John Jones, you know. I see the simple fight for me. I just people one fight against him, people scared. People I'm not scared. I, I don't care if he give me elbow. I have elbow stronger than him. Doesn't matter. I, man, <laughs> I can't wait to fight against him. You know, I hear what you're saying. What you're saying I have to say. Um the word I'm looking forward to or looking uh looking for here is uh it um there's, there's balls in what you're saying because look at John Jones' armory. He has elbows, knees, punches, he's got submission game. None of that troubles you. I wouldn't say frighten you because obviously you're a fighter, but none of that actually causes a problem for you is what you're saying. No, no, no fucking problem. <laughs> Man, I have, I believe in, I see, I have games better than him. I have, I'm brought belt jiu-jitsu, I'm good I have good hands for box, I have good Muay Thai clinch, I have elbow, I have a knee, spin back, flip. I have all of the, my apples I, I can show to him, I can throw in his face, you know. Then doesn't matter which game he's have, I have game better than him. So let's just fast forward now, in your mind's eye. You are light heavyweight champion, you've beaten John Jones. Does the uh, prospect of actually cleaning out the division and moving up a weight, does that have any attraction for you? Or is moving up way too much of a, of a challenge considering who is in the heavyweight division? Man, I want to get my belt in the light heavyweight. I want to defense my belt. I want to go higher to heavyweight. I want to defense my belt. Then I want to beat some champion in the box like Anthony Joshua, Dr. Wilder, Tyson Fury, you know, I want to keep going and make it history. So in making history, um, you're foreseeing then, um, basically a segue into boxing is what you've just said there. What is it about um, these fighters who have had their fill of MMA and want to move into boxing? I'm trying to understand the, the mentality that, you know, we have a sport here which is spectacular. We have a sport here which is outstanding. We have a sport here which is, well, a million times more entertaining than boxing, but I'm hearing a lot of boxers saying, well, a lot of mixed martial artists saying they want to segue into boxing. What is it about boxing that's the attraction? It's not, for me, it's not just boxing. I want to beat because I want to be the best fighter ever, but I, I want to fight against box guy. I want to fight like the best striker guy like K1 or Muay Thai. You know, I want to test myself with all of the martial arts. Incredible. Johnny Walker, can I just ask, no disrespect, but is Johnny Walker, um, is this something which you've adopted? Because um, a lot of people are laying claim to you um, in terms of where you're from. Just, uh, just break down for me. Is, is Johnny Walker your, your real authentic name? Yeah, my name is Walker Johnny. Walker Johnny. Right. Then I just, just like people come Johnny, then Johnny Walker. Eh, I don't know. Just now I'm Johnny Walker. <laughs> I did say this would be the final question, but it'd be remiss of me not to ask this question. In terms of a tie-in, in terms of brand endorsement, have you approached Johnny Walker Whiskey? 
I don't contact them yet, but maybe it's going to be a good sponsor. <laughs> Johnny Walker, thank you so much for joining me on this week's WOCast. There were quite a few takeaways from that. I like the fact that, you know, he consistently calls out people. I really can't stand this whole notion of, oh, I'll fight who they put in front of me. No, you need to demand. You need to basically put yourself forward and you need to start pointing out people who you really want to um, excel or um, accelerate your path towards the belt. One of the things which um, I took away from that as well was I was quite surprised that, you know, Corey Anderson was a name which he looked to actually catapult him forward. But I suppose it's all about rankings these days. And, um, you know, um, facts be facts. Corey Anderson is ahead of him in terms of the rankings. Yeah, and it's so funny. I wanted to be like, Michael, get out of my head. When I listened to the interview, I thought the same thing. I was like, Corey Anderson. Oh, oh, why? Like, what's what's going on? Yeah. And I, the only reason why I say that is because unless Corey Anderson is getting knocked out, I'm not really too keen on his his fights. You know what I mean? And and there's and there's nothing wrong with him. He's a great fighter, but I just find that his fights don't really draw my attention. So I'm thinking, why would Johnny want to fight somebody that where a lot of people are not really lusting after <laughs> this fighter? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being biased. But I think you're right. I think this is about um, rankings. And if he takes him out, it'll catapult him up the rankings. So I think it's more of a strategy when it comes to Corey Anderson. And I did notice, I think he tried to call out Ilatifi. And I think that would be cool. But you know what I'm stuck on. We discussed this in the past. I'd love for him to fight um, Rakich. Is Alexander Rakich? Did I get his name correct? Rakich, yeah. Rakich, yes. But I believe he might be too low in the rankings. But I would love to see that. But Johnny Walker, it doesn't matter who he fights with me. He's just so much fun and the, and the break dancing. And it was also kind of funny to hear that you were once um, a dancer. Let me find out. <laughs> yes, I was like, oh, let me find out, Michael, uh, break. You know what I'm saying? When I come down there, we're going, you know what I'm saying? We might have a dance-off or something like that. So be prepared. I, I, I have to say, just looking in his eyes as he told me that John Jones wasn't a problem for him. I have to say, I've heard this from a lot of fighters who, you know, I've interviewed either face-to-face or over the phone. I'm not trying to big him up unnecessarily. I'm not trying to overgas him. But that was the first time that I've actually heard somebody say that with such conviction, stony face, that I absolutely believed him in that moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually play devil's advocate here because this is where me and you are not going to agree. I feel like that I've heard that before. And I feel like every fighter needs to say that when you are facing a beast like um, John Jones. You have to make, in your mind, you have to just make him another man. You cannot put him on the pedestal that me and you and everybody else puts him on. So I feel like the way in which he spoke and everything he said about John Jones is expected. You have to bring him off that undefeated, well, not technically undefeated pedestal, all that stuff he does in the octagon. You kind of have to be like, no, I'm better than him. And I expect to hear Johnny Walker say that and on top of it as flashy and as great as he is he's still on the bottom of that food chain so he's got to convince himself that he's going to make his way up there and beat this guy and it's not just convincing himself fighters truly do believe they are best in the world and I expect Johnny to feel that way if he wants to beat him so 
I, I wasn't really surprised, but I was happy to hear it. I'm like, that's 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 how you think. That's how you do it. And start getting that mind frame ready now so that when you do climb up that ladder and up the rankings, boom, you're ready. I don't think it's going to be long before we do see that matchup, which neatly pulls us on to UFC 239, which goes down this Saturday. Now, John Jones heads up that card and he's taking on Tiago Santos. I think it's only right that we uh, give our picks for what is essentially the biggest card of the year. Now, okay, we are going to just focus on the main card, but I think it'd be rather, rather, um, well, let's address the elephant in the room. The Brits on the card. Arnold Allen takes on Gilbert Melendez. I, when I first saw this matchup, I've got to admit, it made me feel, what's in it for Gilbert Melendez? Because let's just face it, as much as I love Arnold Almighty Allen, I don't think he's getting past Gilbert Melendez. And in terms of what it does for Gilbert Melendez, I'm thinking not an awful lot. But also on the card, um, it's Jack Marshman versus Edmund uh, Shabazian. Um, again, I think I might be uh, I might be quite teary this weekend in terms of what the Brits are going to be um, coming up against and uh, what the outcome is going to be for the Brits. But are there any um, are there any uh, runners and riders that you want to discuss before we go for our picks on the the main card? Yeah, sure. I'm taking a look at the card now, and they've got some. Uh, yes, I'm looking at Claudia Gadella. And Randa Marcos, I am a Claudia fan. I think she is, you know, definitely, she's number six right now, but she's um, one of the elite in that division, in the strawweights division. Um, she's had some setbacks and whatnot, and she's had some ups and downs, but I'm going with Claudia. Randa is dangerous, though, so I'm definitely going to pay attention to that. That's a sleeper on the prelim. Okay. Definitely a sleeper, and I'm going to pay attention to that. And I definitely have my eye on the two bouts that you discussed, you know. And uh, Gilbert Melendez is going to be a problem for Arnold Allen. But I will say this as well, that Gilbert Melendez, he's been out for quite a while. So there could be some ring rust, and MMA has evolved maybe somewhat. He's been out for a while. I, can't, I don't know how long. So that could work in Arnold's favor, but we'll see what happens. Diego Sanchez opens up the main card. He takes on Michael Chiesa. Now, I love Diego Sanchez. Again, I love a backstory. Tough one competitor and winner in the middleweight. He's had a, a whole run of um, nicknames as well. The Nightmare, The Dream, Lionheart, El Corazon de Leon. And um, the weights that he's been through as well. Featherweight, lightweight welterweight middleweight now he's been in more fight of the year bouts than i can remember any other mma fighter on the planet being and but i just love the fact that he just seems to be able to turn back time when you think about it he's been going an awful long time but still keeping up with the best plus he's never been in a boring fight never been in a boring fight as far as i'm concerned oh never I mean, this is a future Hall of Famer, if you ask me. This is a classic fighter. And whether he's winning or whether he goes down in dramatic fashion, he entertains us. And he's been doing it since he won tough. And you just have to respect him for it. Now, as far as his opponent, Michael Chiesa, I'm very concerned. I'm concerned that Chiesa 
is going to overpower him and take him to the ground. I I don't know, but I don't believe Diego's been submitted. So I don't know if uh, Michael Chiesa is going to be able to do that. But I'm, I am concerned for Diego Sanchez. He looked great against Mickey Gall. But you have to understand Mickey Gall is a... Um, you know, a newer fighter, less experienced. So I did kind of expect that. But Michael Chiesa is a different beast, and I, he's looking good at welterweight too. So if I was to pick, I would pick Chiesa right now. Okay, well, I'm I'm sticking with Diego Sanchez. For me, he will always be the nightmare. That come forward style is a nightmare for anyone. But Black, um, next up, Jan Blakowicz versus Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold's first foray into the light heavyweight division i personally think this is a tough matchup as a first fight for luke rockhold given that it's his first bout at light heavyweight given that jan blackowitz is an absolute killer okay it didn't go so well for him in his last fight but the fact is still a tough matchup for old luke rockhold i'm going with jan blackowitz i'm gonna go with luke I think that although this is a tough matchup, you have to remember that Luke has a ton of experience and that Luke is pretty damn good. If Luke can resort back to his grappling and stop falling in love with his striking, even though his striking is good, he's got a killer left kick, but he has some holes in his defense. If he does not fix those holes, Jan is going to get him. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping that he comes correct. And he goes back to his bread and butter, which is his grappling. I don't know if you notice this, but every time Luke takes somebody down, they don't get up. So I'm hoping he does that to Jan. I'm going to put my money on Luke. I'm a little bit of a fan. And I've been watching his career for quite a while. And I trust him. So I'm going to put my money on Luke. Jorge Masvidal takes on Ben Askren. I expected Robbie Lawler to get him out of there real quick. And he almost did. Now, when you look at that, when you look at that style matchup, when you look at that style of fight, he's basically facing a sharper version of Robbie Lawler, a more precise version of Robbie Lawler, and someone who isn't going to let you get away from strikes that easily. Here's my thing on that. Um, I'm a huge Jorge Masvidal fan. He's actually one of my favorite fighters. And I hate to say it, but I'm going with Ben because I think Ben is just going to wrestle him to death. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I think Ben's wrestling is elite. Not to say that Jorge doesn't have his own wrestling. And he's actually a very well-rounded fighter. But I think Ben is on another level. And I understand that Jorge's um, striking is precise. And it's pretty damn good. Look what he did to Darren Till. But he isn't. Look what Robbie Lawler did. He tried to murder this man. Several punches. Ben Askren survived. I don't know if Jorge is going to be. He'll be precise. But does he have that power? Because Robbie almost killed this dude and Ben survived. So I'm a little nervous about this matchup. It could be an issue with just a stylistic issue with this um, elite wrestler versus this striker. So my heart breaks to say this, but I think Ben might pull this off. But I'm hoping I am wrong. Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm. I'm going with Amanda Nunes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Me too. All day. You know what? Go ahead. the, the, the The reason being, because Amanda Nunes, for me, is the cyborg killer now that for me is a massive scout which everybody 
in that division has been put on notice. Everybody in that division looked at Cyborg as the ogre, as the unbeatable, as basically the boogie woman. And Amanda Nunes dispatched her with severity. Excuse me, let me ask you a question. You think Amanda's going to do that to Holly Holm? 150%. What? Now, this is where we differ. I think Amanda's going to pull it off, but do not be surprised if she takes her apart or has a chess match similar to the one she had with Valentina. I do not think that what she did to Cyborg, she is going to do to Holly Holmes. I don't think that's going to be in her plan. First of all, Holly Holm, I don't believe she's ever been knocked out. She has great footwork and she's tough as hell. This isn't someone that is going to engage in a brawl. The reason why Amanda could take Cyborg out is because you can get Cyborg into a brawl and that's what Amanda did and I think they knew that. Holly Holm is a technical fighter, a former boxer. This is going to be a chess match and I would not be surprised if this is all about points and whatnot and Amanda does what she did to Valentina, to Holly. She's going to win by decision. That's my that's my final take on it. I think it's going to be a decision win for Amanda. She's going to fight smart. But that's just it. That's my thing with Holly Holmes. So much story is put by the fact that she was a former boxer. Now, I'm doing the air quotes, former boxer. Has she boxed out of Albuquerque before? I I believe so. I think so. I'd have to do a quick Google check. But if I think she has. I'm going to go with a yes on that one. Yeah, but I, I would say that she hasn't faced international opponents of note and that basically she seems to be for want of a better word a local circuit fighter I didn't see her on the international circuit and that's where you I I feel that's your proving ground being a local fighter is just like being on a local regional show now for me don't get me wrong I respect the fact that she was a boxer I respect her skills but I just feel as though too much stories put by the fact that Holly Holm used to be this boxer. Great, but mm, who were you tested against? Right, that's true. That's true. And also, too, Michael, I mean, the simple fact is this isn't boxing. I mean, she takes her boxing experience, as you can see in her footwork. You saw her slip Ronda. That was boxing all day when she fought Ronda with all that fancy footwork. When Ronda ran into the into the octagon face first because Holly slipped her. That was her boxing expertise. That is Holly all day. But what I do notice about Holly is that she often has trouble deviating from whatever plan Jackson Wink has given her. If you notice, she's always just throwing out those strikes. Of course, with that infamous yell, that distracts me. <laughs> and then she doesn't deviate from the plan. It's, if, it, if whatever she's doing doesn't work, she just keeps trying, keeps trying. She, it, it's just the same combination or the same pot shots. And it's just like, it's not working, Holly. You have to think on your feet and maybe switch up your plan. And I think that's where in MMA, maybe that hasn't tris- transitioned yet with her. I, she just cannot change things up. You ever see a veteran come out in the first round and they lose that fight and then in the second round, they adjust. They have to deviate from that plan. I don't really see Holly doing that too much, but I think when she comes in to fight Amanda, they're going to have an excellent strategy for her. And I think it's just going to be battle of the, who has the better strategy and the better plan. And like I said, I think Amanda's going to pull off a decision win. John Jones takes on Tiago Santos heading up the main card, the main event for UFC 239. To be honest with you, John Jones has taken out legends of past. He's taken out, well, 
the present. And I feel as though he's going to do that with the future. He will clean out the light heavyweight division. And Thiago Santos isn't really going to stand in his way. I'm going with John Jones. I'm going with John Jones with a clinic. He's going to put on, seriously, a striking masterclass against Thiago Santos. Yeah, I think John Jones is going to do what he normally does. I think he's going to befuddle his opponent. I think with his distance and his range, he's going to have Tiago confused like everybody else. Everybody always walks in with a game plan against John Jones, and then they're just like, "Oh shit, this is not working. This is weird. I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to get around this dude." And next thing you know, you're on the ground getting beat up. And I think that's what's going to happen. However, Tiago, I think, is going to come out there like a maniac in the first round. I think he's going to do everything he can to try to knock John Jones out. And John just has to survive, and then he's going to take him down, and he's going to ground and pound him, similar to what we saw with Gustafsson. I think he's going to use his wrestling, take this big guy down, and it's going to be over, but John Jones must survive the first round, which will be an onslaught. Because Tiago doesn't really have anything to offer. I don't see anything that Tiago does that is going to challenge John. He has a puncher's chance. And I find that most of the time when you have a puncher's chance, the more well-rounded champion typically wins. I'd hate MMA math, but I'm going to use it here. A puncher's chance is never going to beat John Jones. He's too smart. You know, it's funny you mentioned about him taking down Thiago Santos. I really see this being contested on the feet, only because, you know, John Jones reminds me of that old, um, that old series, Heroes. Siler, he used to absorb his opponents uh, or he used to absorb the powers of um, other mutants. And that's just how I see John Jones. He kind of absorbs the way that you fight and takes you on at your own game, basically beats you with your own skill set. So I see this being contested mostly on the feet. And like I say, I really do see an emphatic win by John Jones after displaying an incredible array from his tool set. Oh, I agree with you. I think it, I think we're both saying almost the same thing. Like, you cannot execute your game plan against John Jones. Mm. And it's like exactly what you said. It's almost like he's absorbing their powers. He takes what you think you're bringing to the table and he eats it. He's like, give me that. And the next thing you know, you don't know what you're doing. And you could see it with Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith looked confused. Gustafsson couldn't establish that range. Next thing you know, he's face down on the ground getting pummeled. Like, this is what he does. And I don't think any of that is going to change against Tiago. But, you know, as always, I'm on Twitter and there are people giving him that punch's chance. And you got to let people have their opinions and let them feel how they feel. But me, I put my money on John Jones. <laughs> that about wraps up this episode. You know, just before we finish, um, if people want to carry on the debate, the discussion that we've actually started here, either through these interviews or our picks or even our recapping, um, you can get me on Mike Woe TV. Where can people actually discuss and debate with you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, G from State Farm. Be careful, though. I'm known to drag people, so be nice. <laughs> Speaking of being nice, we've had some fantastic comments about, you know, how the uh, podcast or how the Wocast has actually been progressing. But those wonderful, those excellent, those magnificent comments, we need to see them on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, leave us those reviews that you are giving us via Twitter. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm.